I think it's really important if you have a door open, keep it propped open. Keeping that door open is really important. Um, and also not just like saving outreach for when you need something. But I do think the word networking is gross. I feel, I think it sounds kind of like sleazy, right? But it's like, if you think about it and kind of reframe it as like maintaining contacts and or kind of maintaining relationships, I guess, that's the way to think about it. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, it's Carly. This show might sound a bit different today because the skim is still working from home for the time being because of COVID-19. Today, Eva Chen joins me on Skim from the Couch. She is the Director of Fashion Partnerships at Instagram, and before that, she was the Editor-in-Chief of Lucky Magazine. She is also known for her best-selling children's books and for her loyal following on Instagram. I am one of those loyal followers. Eva, I am so excited to get into this conversation. Welcome to Skip from the Couch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here in my PJs with you. I put makeup on for you, Carly. So Honestly, your PJs are like more fashionable than anything I own, so you're good. <laughs> so Eva, I'm going to start with the question I like to start with every show, which is skim your resume for us. Okay, so at the top of my resume, obviously, would be my name and address, which I will not be revealing in this <laughs> podcast. But I grew up in New York City, and I was pre-med at Johns Hopkins University, which is like, you know, where you go to be pre-med or an engineer, neither of which I am. I interned at Harper's Bazaar uh, the summer between junior and senior year, and I think that's what kind of really set that light bulb off over my head that I wanted to work in magazines and I wanted to work in particular in fashion magazines. I then worked at Elle magazine for three years and I worked at Teen Vogue for seven. I was freelance for a bit and did some consulting. And then I was editor-in-chief of Lucky for about a year and a half, 15 issues is how I think of it. And then I've been at Instagram since then for five years uh, doing fashion partnerships. Are you supposed to put like hobbies or skills. There is no like right way to do this. And I love how you're doing it. So yeah. What are your hobbies and skills? If I were literally like skimming my resume and my resume reflected what I just said, I would not get hired because it was very (laughs) wimbly and all over the place. My current hobby is composting and learning about gardening. And I feel like that would be a conversation starter and an interview. And my skills are, I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. Okay. This is a good resume. You'd make it to round two. Would I? Okay, good. Definitely. Obviously for anyone that, that knows of you, feels like they probably know everything about you because of your presence on Instagram. What is something that we can't Google about you that people would be surprised to know? I feel like what people don't know is like, I feel as a mom, a working mother, especially during COVID, the spring was like a very dark time for me. It was really hard balancing homeschooling three hours a day. So I guess what you wouldn't know from following me is like the constant, like, that I think a lot of women feel, a lot of people feel this. It's like, oh my God, I'm just trying to figure it out and I'm trying to hold it all together. I think that's always a challenge. Um, And I, but I do try to show that on Instagram. I will say like, 
in my stories, I try to show the good and the bad, the anxiety and the stress and the highlights. So I guess that's what people wouldn't know about me, or they wouldn't know that secretly I'm quite introverted. And my idea of like a perfect night is not going out to like the coolest new restaurant or living that sex in the city, like dream fashion life. My ideal night really is laying in bed reading a book and like maybe either drinking a ginger tea or maybe if I'm feeling wild and crazy, like a glass of rosé. I don't know. <laughs> I'm very much a homebody. I don't know that people would assume that right off the bat. You know, I will say, first of all, I completely relate to that. But second of all, what I find fascinating about us when we do this show is we've had so many amazing women that are high profile and, and they all describe themselves as introverts. And I just think that's so fascinating. And I do want to come back to that. But first thing I want to ask you is you mentioned that you were on the pre-med track. You had a plan. Being pre-med is like a very linear path. You know how many years this will take to get to this level. How did you realize that that was not going to be your path? And how did you get your foot in the door into something totally different? Uh, yeah, I think with pre-med, it was just always a given for me because I'm a first-generation American. My parents came here from Taiwan and China in the 70s. And I think the dream for a lot of first-generation Americans that their parents, like the parents' dream for their children is often something very stable. So you see a lot of first-generation Americans kind of gravitating towards these quote-unquote stable career paths, medicine or law, like where it is very linear and there is an undercurrent of stability and for me, I never really questioned it. I always did uh, have an interest in biology and physiology and general health. Uh, so I just kind of followed that path. And when I got into Johns Hopkins, obviously it's a great school to be pre-med at, but I never really looked at the clues of my life or my career. You know, I did always love reading fashion magazines I, and more importantly, like I always loved to read. I always had my nose in a book. I was super shy growing up, um, super awkward. Awkward. Like a lot of people, in addition to saying they're an introvert, are always like, oh, I was like really awkward when I was a teenager. I have the receipts. I have the like photo proof. We're not going to show it. <laughs> Supremely awkward. Uh, and so books very much and writing were very much my solace. And so I was pre-med at Hopkins and I was like, honestly, like it was okay. I like studied a lot to get okay grades. I didn't ace them by any means, but I never had that like deep calling to it. And so I remember the summer between my junior and senior year, I was like, I want to do something that's totally different before I start studying for the MCATs and, you know, doing that whole track. And so I applied to about 20 internships and my strategy was a really poor one. I literally applied to companies that I had heard of. And so I was like, Ooh, uh, MTV, that would be fun. And so I applied there, I applied to like William Morris. I had applied to like Random House Book Publishing. I applied to Condé Nast. Did not get uh, a response. Not that you had your pretty woman moment, like big mistake. Yeah, big mistake, huge. No, I mean, like I ended my, like, you know, I ended up there and was like really happy there. So it all came full circle. So uh, I got an internship at Harper's Bazaar. I applied through the standard like HR I don't even know if it was on a website then. I think I sent in like a paper cover letter. I didn't have connections. My parents didn't have a network because, you know, they were immigrants and very much um, scrappy and not like, you know, so I, I know some, there's a kind of stereotypy people in magazines. They all got the job through their cousins. 
you know, sister who interned at Stella McCartney with them. No, I literally applied with like a piece of paper. And when I ended up at Harper's Bazaar, I was split between two departments. It was kind of a dream. I um, was split between the features department, you know, interning for the books editor, and then the beauty department. And so um, the beauty director at the time was uh, Christine Lennon Shea, and the senior editor at the time oh, was a woman named Emily Doherty. And so that's how I ended up at Harper's Bazaar. And in terms of that pivot, I remember like just knowing everything clicked for me that day. And so I was very lucky at a re- relatively young age to have found this internship that I so loved and found like what would become a career for me. And so I was really lucky in that respect. I know it takes some people longer, but for me, um, things all kind of clicked that fateful summer. And I went back from Harper's Bazaar, I went back to Hopkins and well, actually I didn't. I like I think that summer I was like, why am I going back to Hopkins and studying pre-med? And I actually ended up studying abroad my senior year um, and kind of having that study abroad. Where'd um, you go? I studied at Oxford in England, which was like, you know, this was right around the time that the Harry Potter movies were coming out and being filmed. And like, when if you go ever go to Oxford, it is like so beautiful. It is so dreamy. You really do feel like you're at Hogwarts. In fact, they filmed a lot of the Harry Potter movies there. And it was just like, everything that you imagined, like, you know, a magical, it it just felt magical. And I loved um, studying there. But when I got back from Oxford and had one credit left at Hopkins, but couldn't find a job. This was 2001. It was the first kind of dot-com boom. And a lot of magazines were kind of, were folding. And so I couldn't find a job in magazines. And so I worked at a law firm. I did not know you worked at a law firm. Yeah. I, I don't, I haven't, I don't remember the last time I sent out a resume, but like, when I did, I, what, if I do, I probably wouldn't put this on my resume because it's like so random. But I worked at a law firm called Cravat, Swain and Moore for about nine months. I was like, okay, well, I don't want to be pre-med. And so for like one momentary slice of time, my parents were super happy because they thought I was going to go to law school. And so I was a paralegal or legal assistant, I guess they call it at Cravath, at this big, um, huge law firm, super well-respected. Um, in the corporate kind of M&A department, working for an amazing woman partner. And it was a really good learning experience. I learned that I did not want to be a lawyer. (laughs) And I do feel like there's kind of like no such thing as wasted experience. And then I definitely think my pre-law days, like I I did a lot of redacting, a lot of filing, a lot Mm. of paperwork, which frankly, as an assistant, you know, I did a lot of as well in magazines. And then the way I got my job, my foot back into the magazine world is really, I had kept in touch with every single person I interned with. And a woman named Joanna May, she worked in the fashion department at Harper's Bazaar. And she was starting a job in the fashion department and credits at Lucky. And she kind of emailed um, all her former colleagues and said like, hey, does anyone have a former assistant or intern? I need one. And Emily Doherty had put her in touch with me. And that's how I started freelancing at Lucky. That was the world's longest answer. I'm sorry. No, but it's opened. I have a lot of questions now. So first of all, you said you stayed in touch with the people that you interned for. How do you stay in touch, whether it's for an internship or early job and you leave? I think one of the questions that we get asked all the time when we talk to kind of people, you know, coming up in their career is like, well, I don't have anything to say. Like, I don't have an update. It sometimes feels very awkward. So like, how do you actually stay in touch? 
That's a great question. I mean, I now, I always actually, I've done informational interviews. Like I get to know people and then like, I never hear from them ever again, or I only hear from them like four years later, at which point I've forgotten who they are. And so I think it's really important if you have a door open, keep it propped open. You don't have to be like, I have a life update. I just did X, Y, and Z. It's okay just to send an email. And this is what I did. I remember this vividly. I remember coming back the winter after my Harper's Bazaar internship and coming back to Harper's Bazaar around the holidays, sending an email that's like, hi, like I would love to drop by and say hi and like bring you guys some like holiday treats. And I literally came with a bag of cookies just to say hi to the editors and to say hi to Emily and all the other people working there and just dropping in and saying hello. And it doesn't have to be this huge formal thing. I'm not saying like, you know, DM or text your former bosses. But like now that email is so casual, such a casual modality, you know, email them, wish them a happy holidays or just say like, hey, no major updates here, but just checking in, still thinking about my time at Harper's Bazaar and how formative it was. Thank you again for being such a good mentor teaching me about X, Y, and Z. Keep it casual. And you know what? Don't be offended if your former boss doesn't write back. They are busy. You saw firsthand how busy they were. But keeping that door open is really important. Um, And also not just like saving outreach for when you need something. That feels kind of gross. You know, like everyone has that one friend who like only texts or DMs or calls you when they need something. And it's kind of like, well, you, you literally only reach out to me when you want me to do something for you. That's what you don't want. I have always been like someone who like likes keeping in touch with people. Like that's always been in my DNA. I don't know why I'm just like, I, I like it. So maybe it's easier for me, but if it's not like a muscle you're used to exercising, like exercise it, you have to do it. I do think the word networking is gross. I feel, I think it sounds kind of like sleazy, right? But it's like, if you think about it and kind of reframe it as like maintaining contacts and or kind of maintaining relationships, I guess, that's the way to think about it. I think that's great advice. Yeah, I think networking is a gross term. There's not really a better term, but it's not optional. If you need a job, which most of us do, how you're going to continue to grow in your career is based off of how you have doors open to you and how you get those doors open. When I think about the fashion industry, it's actually very similar to the media industry, which is where Danielle and I came up in. It's not known for paying a lot. It's you know known for you pay your dues. <laughs> That's the, the the pay. The word pay is usually used that way. You talked about the dot com kind of moment in two thousand one. We came up in in two thousand eight, and the economy was also not having a good good moment. And so many of these industries, all of those linear paths, at least that we thought were there, which is like, you know, you make nothing and then you do X, Y, Z, and then there's some sort of success at the end of this road kind of just disappeared and like collapsed underneath everyone. What I'm really interested in is you were able to create a very entrepreneurial fashion journey. There's no one else who has done what you have done. When somebody comes to you for an informational interview or any advice, like how do you advise them to go into fashion today? Yeah, I do get questions about how to, I guess, like replicate my career or I want to do what you're doing or I want the job that you are doing. It's hard because like everyone's path is different and like the way I did it like does not exist anymore. 
I think about the staircases, not to use another, I've talked like a lot about Harry Potter in this interview already so far. Sorry, apologies. I am a Harry Potter nerd. So basically I think about those like moving, shifting staircases at Hogwarts where it's like you're climbing up the stairs and then suddenly everything's rearranged. And that's how you should need to think about like careers and just life in general. The way I went up the staircase is going to be different from the way like someone else goes up the staircase because the landscape is constantly shifting. Um, I worked at Teen Vogue for seven years. I worked at Elle for three years. I think there's much higher turnover now where people tend to jump every like year or two now, not even like, I think that the new generation of employees are different. They're like wired differently. This is like a post, it's just a much more entrepreneurial and people are starting up their own thing. And they'll say like, oh, like, why do I need to work for an establishment, like kind of brand when I could establish my own? And I think that's great. My advice to people who want to work in the fashion industry is like, number one, do your homework. Even though things are different now in the media landscape, fashion landscape, designer landscape, there's always a sense of like going back and kind of seeing what other people have done and how they've done it. So it's really important to know context. Number two, there are some fundamental things that are still a foundation of business. Like I said, like keeping in touch with people and maintaining connections and maintaining friendships, mentorships, that's really important. Sounds weird, but like good manners, that sounds super old fashioned, I swear I'm not a hundred years old. But you know, like saying thank you, expressing appreciation, if someone like helps you or opens a door for you, thank them. And yeah, I guess I would say like, reach out to people, you just never know. We have someone on our team at Instagram who I met, she cold emailed me. I met her for an informational interview and was just so impressed by her that she's part of the team now. And I don't wanna say that's standard, but she had great experience, a great resume, and obviously like deep knowledge of like Instagram and the roadmap of what we could achieve. So you do have to take that chance as well. You ended up becoming the editor-in-chief of Lucky. And that's actually like how I started becoming a fangirl of yours. I'm curious, you know, you had such a high profile job at that moment. And as you said, 15 issues you did. And then you took some time off. Mm -hmm. What was that moment like for you? So I joined Lucky to be editor in chief of a fashion magazine. I don't want to say it was a dream come true because I never even dared to dream that that was something that I could do, that I could be an editor in chief. But I loved it. I learned so much. I was Anna Wintour's first hire as editorial director of Condé Nast. And I was really excited to recreate a magazine into one that reflected Instagram influencers, that reflected high-low dressing, these new kind of nascent brands that were being created on Instagram. It it was kind of like, uh, I, I guess, like about less than a year in Condé Nast wanted to create a shopping startup out of Lucky, which is a, a very totally logical idea, made a lot of sense. And Lucky went through a merger with a company in California. That was, to be totally honest, bumpy. It's expected to be bumpy. I, I don't really have any like ill will or regrets about it, but it was really complex. And it was around that time that I was pregnant, with, like found out that I was pregnant with Ren. And it was hard because I was traveling to LA every two weeks at the time to go work with the team out in LA. That's where the buyers were based. That's where the e-commerce business was based. And it just wasn't really sustainable. And it was hard because we had to make a lot of cuts and difficult decisions at Lucky. Just like something didn't feel right. It wasn't like sitting 
well with me. Sounds really new age, but like the vibe was off. I was very unhappy. And so I had to make the decision to kind of step back. I remember like having my daughter in December of 2014. Remember having my daughter in December and then like literally coming back as things were so crazy in January, uh, like literally three weeks later and just thinking like, I, I can't do this. You went back three weeks later? Yeah, I had to because like there was a lot happening and they were consolidating a lot of departments and teams and it just didn't feel like, like I just felt like I had to come back. I got no pressure from Condé or from the startup to come back absolutely none. Like they were very accommodating, but I just felt like I had to, it was the right thing to do at the time. And so after four months, I started just like kind of winding down and I took, uh, decided to take that step back from Lucky and take my mat leave three months later. So when Ren was probably four months old. And I think a lot of people think that I went straight from Lucky to Instagram, which I didn't. Like I wasn't approached about the Instagram position until after I left Lucky. And I took some time off. And I remember even when I was approached about the position at Instagram, I mean, I was fully like, I did not. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I kind of want to just spend time at home. I just like want to take a break for a bit. And I remember the person who approached me, his name is Charles. I had met him. Speaking of like maintaining relationships, I had met him at South by Southwest like three or four years before this. I remember we got tacos in Austin, which is like what you do, obviously. He was in town from San Francisco or, you know, Menlo Park, Silicon Valley. And he was like, hey, I'm in town. Like, I heard you left Lucky. Like, let's get tacos. And I was like, okay. And I remember him saying like, listen, we have this job, like you'd be perfect for it. And I remember saying, could I do it part-time? Because I really just like want to take time off. And I marinated on it for a few weeks. My husband, Tom, was like, agree. If you want to take time off, you should. He's like the most supportive ever. But he was like, does kind of sound like the perfect job for you. Like if it's something that you want to do. And so that's kind of how I ended up at Instagram. What is your job at Instagram? That is a great question that is like a source of a lot of confusion for people, my parents included. I was going to say, what what do your parents think you do? My parents like think, I think they think my job is literally just to like do Instagram stories and post the stories. I mean, I wish that were my job. So I uh, oversee fashion and shopping partnerships at Instagram. What it started out as the position was really working with people in the fashion industry, models, designers, stylists, brands, influencers, publications, fashion publications, and really educating them on Instagram and like all the different surfaces of Instagram, whether it was stories, now IGTV, now reels, and just really kind of helping educate them at scale about how to use Instagram. And basically also taking feedback back from those public figures and sharing it with what's called the product teams. Now, you know, five years in, I feel like people know how to use Instagram. Like I, I feel like there are fashion personalities and influencers who use Instagram in such innovative, smart, amazing ways. So the fashion industry is pretty advanced now in Instagram. Over, I would say, uh, the last year, two years, I've been working a lot on helping the team introduce tools for Instagram to help the next generation of entrepreneurs. So like when you think about shopping on Instagram, Instagram's been around 10 years now and everyone is like, oh, I love shopping on Instagram. Shopping, I buy things from Instagram all the time. And like, how do we make that easier? How do we make small brands? Like I'm thinking about, there's a skincare line called Goldie that I like, I love, but it's like, how do we make it easier to discover a brand like Goldie? You tap and you buy it. How much of your day is spent with product and tech teams versus 
like fashion influencers or fashion brands? It started out when I started five years ago, I would say like I spent 80% of my time working with external people, whether it was a model, whether it was a designer and 20% of my time with product. And now I would say it's 90% internal working with product and tech teams and then 10% external, maybe less than 10%. You've been able to truly carve your own story every step of the way. And what is it about you, do you think, was like why you got promoted in fashion and why you were able to, you know, make a trans uh, at the time seemed like a really out of left field transition to a tech company. And now you're spending 90% of your time with people who have a product and tech background that you didn't grow up having. What do you think it is about you that's been able to thrive in these kind of changing environments? Uh, I think that generally, and I think this is part of like an immigrant mentality is that I'm very much kind of like, I can figure it out. I don't know, but I can figure it out. So a lot of the time people will ask questions or they'll ask me to do something almost always. I'm like, I don't know, but I can figure it out. And I, and I see that my family very much is that way. Like I said, they came here in the seventies without really anything or anyone and they figured it out and were able to give me and my brother so many opportunities. I'm very inspired by that and all the first generation Americans and the immigrant stories that I hear of people who are scrappy, I guess. I have very little qualms and have no problems rolling up my sleeves and kind of getting into things. Like I will chip in however is needed and maybe that's it. I don't know. Like I also kind of come at things, I think, with kind of like, I don't know, can we try it this way? Or like, let's do something different. And I think when I think about most of the work I do with the children's books, like my publisher, who's this legend in the children's book world, she really is. Her name is Jean Fywell. Um, And so a lot of the time when I was working with her, she was like, we don't really do, we've never done it this way. And I'm like, but let's try it. I don't know. You know, I, I think it's also like an openness to trying things in a different way and failing is okay. Like if you look back at my career, really like I'm a failed (laughs) pre-med. I'm a failed lawyer. I interned in PR for like three weeks, you know? And so I think also like kind of learning from all those lessons and knowing that no experience is wasted, you know? What are you not good at? I am not good at prioritization. I think like I get distracted very easily. I am pretty sure I'm 92% sure I have ADD or like ADHD. I've never been diagnosed, but I know that like everyone in my family has it. You know, I think about this in the context of like, obviously with two young kids in school and people talk about like the different ways people learn differently. And I look at my daughter and she's very similar to me where she's quite like flighty and easily distracted. But I also think like, well, maybe it's why I am able to you know, I've written six children's books at this point and like working on an adult book. And maybe it's that like ability to kind of spin a lot, have a lot of plates spinning up in the air at once. In a, in a pre-COVID world, if anyone who follows you or knows you, like you, you are on a plane quite often. I feel like you are signing a book every second of the day. I remember when we were doing our book for the skim, we were talking to people just like in the in the book world and everyone looked to you as just like as a model of how to do a book tour, how to sell books, how to engage with an audience. Everyone gave you like the highest compliment, which is just like no one hustles like Eva. How do you say no? How do you balance that drive? Like we will figure it out. You're a full-time job, you're a full-time mom, obviously, and 
you also now are an incredibly successful author. How do you learn how to say no? I have a really hard time saying no. I really do. When it comes to like the children's books, someone will email me and say like, we're doing a charity auction of Juno. Like, could you do X, Y, and Z? I will like almost always say yes. I may have I just, been like, one of those people once. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I feel weird and bad saying no, especially if there are kids involved. Right now, my publisher like sent me, sorry, it's like you're hearing a plastic bag squish because my publisher sent me like thousands of these book plates. You guys can't see these. It's thousands of like Roxy book plates. Oh my God. Yeah, and so it's like, and she's like, we're, we're, they're like, we know you're on vacation, bud. And it's like, I ha- so I have a crate of these. And every day I would try to sign 500 to 600 of them. And then, yeah. you know, my hand is like a gnarled stump. But <laughs> I really love it. And I think that's the secret. It's like, it's easier to say yes when it's something you love. This sounds weird because, you know, it's children's books, but like my whole life I've wanted to write children's books. This is like literally what I've wanted to do since I was like seven or eight years, since I was like Ren's age. It is really like what I love to do and I've learned a lot in the process and it makes me super happy. Um, And so it is easier to say yes and it's harder to say no when it's something you really enjoy. So last question before we go into our lightning round, what is it like to be an introvert and have so much of your life exposed on social media? Well, I think social media, the good thing about Instagram and social media in general is that it's like, no one's forcing you to do it, right? The things I share, I genuinely enjoy sharing. The other thing that I'm really into, that I'm really into fountain pens. See, I feel like there's nothing you can say that I'm like, yeah, I already know that because I follow you. Like I know about Tom and the granola. I know Um, about the cottage. I know about the floors. Like Like, stuff that I like enjoy sharing, but it's like, if there's ever something like, you know, my dad had a pretty major back surgery a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And it's like, I didn't share that because it's respect for his privacy. And also like, it was really tough. Are you, do you always feel on though? Like, do you turn off? I do. I mean, like there is not a big disconnect, I would say. I mean, I remember I was walking down the street in in New York once and someone DM'd me like after, and I was in a really, I remember this day because I was in a really bad mood because like I'd just gotten some like, it was like going through like school admission stuff and like for my daughter who's five, which is ridiculous. And I remember like I got like really negative feedback that was like really almost bordering on like this meme about my child, which is like incredibly hurtful, of course. And like, I was super pissed. Um, And I remember I was in a really bad mood. So I probably was scowling as I was walking down the street, which guess what? People are allowed to be in bad moods. Yes? Ren? Oh no, it's mommy. Mommy's doing work. I'm like, I'm like, Ren is here. She's a celebrity. Hi. Hi, Ren. How are you? Good. It's so nice to meet you. Uh, yeah. So she, yeah, but like, I remember someone DM'd me. So someone DM'd me and they were like, you put on this really happy face on Instagram. And I just want to tell you that I'm unfollowing you because I saw you on the street and you obviously were like angry and you're an angry fake person. And it was like, super annoying. Everyone's allowed to have good days and bad days. I am generally a glass, not just half full person, but like I'm a pretty positive, even keeled person. But you know, the thing is with social media, it's like you choose what you want to put on. And I'm, I do feel like 
I get just as excited about the new Gucci re-release of the Jackie bag. I get just as excited about that as I do about a fountain pen, as I do about composting. Like I'm a generally enthusiastic person. And I think the reason why a magazine like Lucky made a lot of sense for me is because it's like sharing, you know, like Lucky was all about sharing like cool new finds. I really like sharing things. Well, I'm glad you shared all of this with us. You're now going to move into the lightning round. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. How has your nighttime routine evolved over the last few months? I stay up until crazy late hours watching K-pop bands, dance practices, because I need that time to kind of like unwind from the trauma of I honestly think Zoom calls are like one of the worst things to happen. Not not this one. Thank I love you. this one. Thank you for like, clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> but generally, like I feel like Zooms are so hard because I think they take a lot more energy, like psychic energy, because it's like you have to intensely focus and work harder to convey the signals that you're like listening and invested. And I think they're much more tiring. What is your favorite quick dinner to make? Favorite quick dinner to make is a piece of fish. Well, no, I'm, this is going to be a lie because my husband makes it. Like he'll like bake some salmon and then we'll just like stir fry some greens and that's it. But my real favorite dinner to make is takeout. That's that, that bad. No, that's great. So I asked on Instagram to our followers what they wanted me to ask you. So speaking of Tom what and granola, what is your favorite type of granola? Okay, so he makes one that is tiramisu that is so good, and I want him to make it and sell it. It involves, like, you know how tiramisu, the dessert, has several layers? And so he makes several different batches of granola, and that kind of creates that layered effect. And he says it's too labor-intensive, but he also makes a blueberry lemon one that's really good. But um, the secret ingredient is love. <laughs> Worst professional mistake you've made? Probably a lot. I, I don't, I don't know. I would have to ask my coworkers, but like definitely, I mean, I've cried at work before. I don't know if that's like the worst mistake, but like, I don't know if it's a mistake. I cry a lot. Like my coworkers are used to me crying like spontaneously at work. And then they get really embarrassed that like I'm crying. I don't know if it's actually a mistake, but I just do it. Last time you negotiated for yourself. I honestly, now that I'm in this home decor space of like nesting and buying furniture, I'm negotiating constantly for better deals. And so I'm constantly like trying to get a better deal on a table. Last question, selfish one, best Instagram filter that I should use. Okay. So there are so many different Instagram filters now because it's open access. And so any kind of creator can kind of submit. But like, what's your go-to? My go-to, I don't use a filter. Are you kidding? Stop. I super rarely use filters, like almost well, never. You have really good skin, so I'm happy for you. That's great. It's, <laughs> it's all about lighting though. Eva, thank you so much. Congrats on everything and good luck with the cottage. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.